creating a world of educational entrepreneurs. Yeah, let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Thursday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. And thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always... Your humble host joining you live from our Stratus IP studios here in lovely, lovely eastern Indiana. Don't let cyber attacks or outdated business technology put your company at risk. Learn more at briannicholshow.com forward slash Stratus IP. All right, so let's talk about this. Over the past, I don't know, going on three years almost at this point, which is kind of hard to imagine, we've seen a lot of folks realize exactly what it is that their kids are learning behind the scenes when they're sending their children off to the public schools, or as our good friend Corey DeAngelis refers to them as the government schools, because, well, that's exactly what they are. But let's look at what that average parent got to experience behind the scenes. They got to see what it was that their teachers were promoting from a curriculum standpoint, and was it actually curriculum? They're seeing what books the children were bringing home and reading, and were they necessarily suitable for children their age? Most definitely not. And a bunch of other just absolutely mind-blowing things that parents were suddenly being awakened to. Well, lo and behold, it opened up a brand new marketplace out there for educational entrepreneurs and joining us once again today to talk about that and more, Carrie McDonald. Welcome to the program. How are things going? Oh, it's great to be back with you, Brian. I am very jealous of your festive microphone. I feel like I need to keep up. That is impressive. (laughs) Tis the season to be merry and uh, to have some (laughs) fun along the way. Yeah. So you were busy, and I say that literally as we're recording today here on Tuesday, sneak peek behind the scenes, um, you just sat down and had a conversation with former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. How was that conversation? That was so great. Yeah, so your your listeners and viewers uh, could be able to listen to that episode on the Pioneer Institute's Learning Curve podcast. Denisha Allen and I guest co-hosted that podcast and had a chance to speak with former Secretary Betsy DeVos about her new book, Hostages No More, uh, which I highly recommend. She really talks about the roadblocks that she encountered coming into the Department of Education, really attempting desiring to reduce the size and scope of the federal government's role in education and being stymied uh, at every step, really, based on kind of that administrative uh, state and the sort of bureaucracy that she encountered there. <laughs> well, and man, you want to talk about bureaucracies. We, we've just seen the, the bureaucracies over the past three years across the board, education, healthcare, the, the, you look at the current government state as it is with all the regulations that are there, the red tape, businesses being shut down, determined who was considered essential and non-essential. Yeah, everybody felt the red tape and the bureaucracy in some way, shape, or form over the past three years. And that actually, let's go towards our topic of conversation today, Carrie, and that is the idea that some folks saw an opportunity in that, uh, that I would say, weird kind of situation we all found ourselves in. In this case, it was an opportunity to help educate kids where the state was failing when they had their own little monopoly. And in this case, it created an opportunity for folks to become entrepreneurs. So talk to us about that. What What is an educational entrepreneur and how does it look like in this new era of education? 
Yeah, so it was one of the the few positive outcomes of the past couple of years of societal disruption during the COVID response, and specifically the education disruption with schools being shut down and then this prolonged remote schooling over Zoom um, that was really just a disaster for so many students and families. But the positive was that it enabled many families, as you said, to take a look at what was actually happening in their children's classrooms and then realized that they had to take matters into their own hands, that schools were going to stay shuttered for a long period of time. They were dissatisfied with the quality of the product that they were getting remotely. And I think it also made them realize that maybe the in-person quality wasn't, wasn't that great either. And so it really, I think, empowered a lot of parents to seek out and demand other education options. And many of them started to create, back in 2020, what were known as pandemic pods, these little kind of spontaneous learning communities of families coming together, realizing they wanted their kids to continue to learn and have some social interaction at a time uh, when so much was shut down. And so they got together in these small mixed age learning communities, often in people's private homes or taking turns in homes, either with parents facilitating a curriculum or with hiring an educator. And in many cases, those pods turned into full-fledged microschools, uh, which are sort of these, again, mixed-age, one-room schoolhouse kinds of models, but typically in a commercially leased space with hired educators. Uh, and the microschool movement was gaining traction well before 2020, but really took off over the past couple of years. And I can give you sort of an anecdote about what I mean by these mm -hmm. education entrepreneurs, these microschool founders. Uh, in many cases, they're just parents and educators solving a problem for their family and their community. One example is Jill Perez uh, is a longtime public school teacher in New Jersey. And she, when schools shut down in 2020, she ended up creating a pandemic pod with some families in her neighborhood. It became so popular with other families hearing about what she was doing and that the kids were meeting and having fun and, and still continuing to learn when everything else was shut down around them. Um, that they urged her to do something more formal, more structured. And so she ended up uh, leasing a building last year in New Jersey. She opened a microschool, mixed-age microschool last fall with about 45 kids. Uh, and that was so successful and it continued to expand that she ended up purchasing uh, her own building nearby for this year. Uh, and wow. so she's been able to expand there. And, and as, as sort of related to that, Jill recruited teachers to teach at her micro school who were New York City public school teachers who were just burnt out and fed up with a couple of years of COVID policies and remote, remote schooling. Uh, they wanted to have their creativity and their um, freedom back. And so those, she said those are some of her best teachers. Those are her thinking teachers, as she would say. Uh, so great wow. to see that kind of uh, innovation. There, and you, I'm so glad, Carrie, you, you, you focused on this and you brought this up, that there has been not just the demand from parents, but also a demand from teachers, right, for a different way of doing things. And I think this is one area we can do a lot better job in the liberty movement is looking at the teachers as potential advocates and allies in reaching out to them 
All right, everybody, say it with me. On the issues they care about, I know, and let's talk about that. They don't like, and I'm sure if you were in New York State, you heard this as well, teachers up there, they don't like being restricted to have to teach for the New York State Regents. And they always said, well, you gotta have to learn this, and I have to teach for the test, but here's what else you have to know. And I'm like, wait, here's what else I have to know. Can we... Can we talk about that? No, we have to go on to the next thing for the test. And I saw that the teachers, these the light in their eyes just evaporates and it it makes you sad like as a student cuz you're you're supposed to be encouraged and you're supposed to be challenged and then you're seeing your teachers lose their ability to challenge you because they're structured into really just getting good little sheep to to come into the the school take the standardized test and then go off into the world to be good little button pushers. And that is something I think right now a lot of teachers are saying enough. And not only that, you look at the benefit side of things. Teachers who leave the public schooling system and they start having competitive options are earning more money. They're getting better benefits. And with that, they're having better outcomes for their students because they're no longer restricted to the the shackles that they weren't were held to from the state-run public schooling. So then I guess the question is, Carrie... Why aren't we funding this? Why is this not something that we're having more of a conversation about more frequently? Well, I want to get to your funding question in a minute because that's really the crux of the issue. But uh, just to sort of reinforce what you're saying around teachers being caught up in the same bureaucratic system. It's so true. You know, I I have a a podcast where I interview education entrepreneurs, micro school founders, education kind of thought leaders in this space and alternative education. And I hear over and over that the key reason that these educators left the public schools, I would say the vast majority of micro school founders are former public school teachers. The main reason that they left was they got tired of this teach to the test mentality. They had zero creativity. I just wrote an article this week uh, in my Forbes column talking about a micro school founder out in Utah who, you know, was a high school biology teacher in public schools there. She wanted to do some lessons around the biology of eating disorders because so many of her sophomore students were struggling with eating disorders. And she was told there's absolutely no time in the curriculum for this. So she was able to squeeze in a tiny little bit, but not nearly enough and not nearly what she could do if she was really being a responsive, creative teacher. And just imagine the kind of learning that those kids would have had if it was a teacher given that kind of freedom and flexibility to uh, create and craft a curriculum around what really is meaningful to them. So just an important point I wanted to echo your your observation there that that teachers are finding so much freedom outside of the system in addition to parents and and children and that gets to your question about access which is you know this uh, luckily again another kind of uh, positive outcome of the education disruption of the past couple of years has been the growth in school choice policies so we now have many states introducing and expanding school choice policies that enable education funding to follow students instead of going to these bureaucratic school systems. Um, Arizona just passed the country's most expansive education choice program in history, a universal education savings account that allows every family to have access to about 90% of state funding, which is 
between $6,500 and $7,000 per student. Every child is eligible. Arizona had led the way for a while in other school choice policies that were focused on kind of key demographics of kids who were in failing school districts or who had special needs. Now this is universal. In the world of wine, there are so many choices, and that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants in your life, well, we've got that covered too. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. Uh, and we're seeing some state competition. So West Virginia yeah. just passed a, a nearly universal uh, education savings account that applies to more than 90% of K-12 to students in that state. So I think the future is bright for education choice. I think it's um, politically popular. A lot of politicians run on it and find success there. And frankly, parents demand it. I can just hear Corey DeAngelis out there just screaming at the, the podcast, the Milton Friedman quote, we have to make it so it's uh, politically popular for politicians to do, what is it, the the uh, unpopular political things? Or I, I just butchered the quote, but more or less, we have to make it so it's easy for these politicians to do the politically popular thing by changing the culture and changing the way we're having these conversations. And frankly, I think it goes to just doing it. Right. And this this is the thing about the entrepreneurial spirit that I love It's just just going out and doing it, making the change when you see the need, when you see that there is a problem, there is something that needs to be done in order to solve this problem, to be the one to bring the solution to the table and ask, you know, ask permission afterwards and maybe ask for forgiveness instead, because at this point we need to just get the innovation ball rolling because I guess at the end of the day, what's the alternative, right? We're just going to keep funneling all of our hard-earned money towards this just giant leviathan of a state government-run public schooling system that just consistently gets worse. And the the records show for that. Like, we look at our, our students and their, their grades, and they're just plummeting across the board ever since... I don't know, 1971. What happened in 1971, Carrie? Do you know? Was there some organization that was founded out there? Department of something. Education Is that the one? And ever since then, stats have been going down. And by the way, you can get the What Happened in 1971 shirt over at our shop, Proud Libertarian, uh, from briannicholshow.com forward slash shop. Just saying. Uh, but Carrie, I mean, it is something we see right now that it's all coming home to roost, right? Like you just can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. That is literally a definition of insanity. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, it's interesting. And in my we brought up earlier my conversation uh, with Secretary DeVos and talked about really wanting to eliminate the uh, U.S. Department of Education. I believe it was it was there were started to be rumblings of wanting to create the department in the early 70s. It wasn't until the 1979, 1980 mm. that it actually uh, was formed. So relatively recent development. And again, just bad ideas a, in the early as, 70s. What the heck? As you would say and you would agree, um, you know, no no constitutional role for the federal government in education. It's definitely a state and local issue. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to see sort of the interplay or intersection between school choice policies and education entrepreneurship. So I've been traveling the country meeting with these micro school founders and these entrepreneurs and seeing these incredible learning communities that they're building. And it, it, in areas where there are robust school choice policies, there is an even greater proliferation of these microschools and innovative learning models. They're, they're happening everywhere, but they're concentrated largely in areas that have 
um, this record of school choice. And I think of, for example, Florida, I was down in the Fort Lauderdale area where there's a cluster of micro schools there, many of which have just launched over the past couple of years. Many have run by former public school teachers who themselves became disillusioned during the COVID response and remote learning and wanted to do something different. And they will say that their uh, their students, many of their students wouldn't be able to attend their micro schools uh, if it wasn't for Florida's tax credit scholarship programs or the mm-hmm. robust education choice programs there. And in the South Florida cluster that I visited, it's uh, majority minority owned micro schools and majority minority students, many of which, again, are, are low income and so wouldn't have the ability to pay for these micro schools, which are interestingly a quarter or uh, in some cases a fifth of the cost of a traditional private school. So they're already more accessible to more families financially just because of their lower price tag, but still uh, out of touch for a lot of low-income families. So let's talk about the future because why not? That's what we do here at the show because we want to give people a positive future to look forward to or the very least what the worst case scenario could look. And I think they're already seeing the worst case scenario. So let's not go the doom and gloom. It's like you rewind to 2019. You're like, well, the worst case scenario could be, I don't know, a pandemic globally where all the kids are sent home and they have to work remotely and you see the worst things you can possibly think your kids are learning in school. That's the worst case scenario. And the the kids would be like, okay, like that's going to happen. And the parents would be like, okay, conspiracy theorist. It happened. So we, we saw the worst case scenario, Carrie. Let's talk about the future from an entre- uh, entrepreneurial education standpoint. What does it look like? Do we see this industry growing? Do we see more and more folks getting excited about becoming educational entrepreneurs? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. You know, I'm just so inspired by these uh, founders and these entrepreneurs. I mean, they are the ones who are so committed to creating new learning models and expanding. I mean, it's really interesting. These micro schools, which are typically kind of fewer than 50 kids, mixed age, again, sort of the modern one room schoolhouse. These founders want to expand, they want to scale, but they're planning to scale laterally, to scale horizontally, not vertically. They don't want to go bigger. They don't want to be a big private school. They realize that the uh, what makes these micro schools so special um, in terms of children's development, happiness, academic performance is that small environment, that kind of personalized learning piece. And so they want to to go big, but they want to go big laterally with many, many microschools. One uh, microschool founder in South Florida said she wants one of these in every county. Another South Florida microschool founder said she expects to open 100 microschools in 10 years. Uh, so they have broad and lofty goals, and I have no doubt they'll reach them. And that's why I'm so optimistic for the future of uh, education in this country. Wow. So, and and let's like talk about the, the long-term ramifications beyond kids getting better school uh, schooling and, and better education, truly education scores uh, across the board going up for test scores. But let's talk about from a cultural standpoint, because we always talk about this on the show, the late, great Andrew Breitbart, what was his quote? Politics is downstream from culture. And and with that, when does culture really begin when you're a kid? And we've seen far too often folks on the right, and that includes a lot of us in the liberty movement, we've neglected the culture. We think that our ideas are just so great that we can good idea people to death, and our facts, our logic, and our reason will be enough to win in the court of public opinion. But what we didn't realize is that How many years now, decades have gone past with children quite literally being indoctrinated with your tax dollars at behest of the state 
to go against the very ideas you stand against. So being able to quite literally cut off the mechanism by which we are funding this apparatus and instead changing the way we're having this conversation, changing the competition so we no longer have a monopoly when it comes to looking at education and really we're changing the game. And I think it's just, it's so cool, Gary, because where, where I was when I was a kid, where you were when you were a kid, where our grandparents were when they were kids, I mean, it's like we're going back in time, but with the, the advancement in technology that we have today. And it's just, it's really cool to be in this era where we're seeing the best of both worlds come together. You mentioned the one, uh, one house schoolhouse or yeah, the one room schoolhouse approach that right there, like that is what worked. <laughs> and, and I think back to the old, small, the small communities, that's what they were. They were the one, the one room schoolhouses. And we still see that where I'm from in Northern New York, Amish's have the, uh, the one room schoolhouse everywhere. And they have the, the most tight knit communities that you would ever find. Everybody knows everything about everybody and they care. They're there for each other. And that matters. And I think in an era where we've seen so much, uh, just nonsense happen, it's important for us to find communities about, you know, folks who actually care about us. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Carrie McDonald, this is a great conversation and we could go on and on and on. And I'm sure we will go on and on and on in future episodes. But alas, we must unfortunately come to an end here. And I'm sure you're tired because you've been podcasting for a while here. So do us a favor, go ahead and uh, let us know where folks can go ahead and follow you if they want to continue the conversation. Great. Yeah. Please visit me at the Foundation for Economic Education at fee.org slash Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y. There you can see uh, links to my articles and send me an email. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kerry underscore E-D-U and listen to my podcast, liberatedpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. All right. And folks, you can follow me at B Nichols Liberty Twitter, Facebook, minds.com, wherever it is really you find social media, you can find me over there. And then for uh, my final thoughts today, by the way, uh, yeah, I mentioned uh, we have our What Happened in 1971 shirt. We also have, I'm wearing it today, our uh, Michael Scott 2024 shirt. Uh, if you want to go ahead and grab these and more over at our amazing shop, which is hosted by Proud Libertarian, head over to briannicholshow.com forward slash shop and be sure to use code TBNS at checkout. It'll give you a, a nice discount there at your order when you go out to check out. And uh, by the way, we have lots of stuff here for the holidays as we're getting ready here. I know stocking stuffers, folks are looking for last minute gifts for that liberty lover or that freedom fanatic in their life. And if you're looking for our Liberty Legends shirt, we have our now that's what I call tyranny Klaus Schwab shirt. Uh, we have our uh, magic money tree shirt. That's right. I almost forgot about that one. That one's been flying like hotcakes. So if you guys want to go ahead and check those out one more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash shop. That's my final thoughts for the episode today. Carrie, what do you have for us for your final thoughts? I just I am so excited to see these education entrepreneurs criticized by creating, right? That I think we can wallow in everything that's wrong with education and we can be frustrated and we can fight about it in school boards and, and, and on social media, or we can go out and build something new and better. And that's what really inspires me. Amen. Well, and it requires us to, to do what we're doing, continue the conversation, but it also, folks, it requires you. So please go ahead and do your part. And with that, I would need you to go ahead and give today's episode a share. When you do, please go ahead and tag yours truly. And also go ahead and tag Carrie. Like we said, we will include all those links in the show notes. All you got to do, if you're joining us here on the podcast version of the show, which I know 95% of you are, uh, just go ahead to your show notes or go to briannicholshow.com where you can find today's episode, the entire transcript from today's episode, plus 
all the other uh, show links and the, the social media links. And by the way, you'll also find the video version of the show, which yes, hi, if you did not know that, we have a video version of the show. It'll bring you over to YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey. Yes, I know there's a lot of you who are like, no more YouTube, I get it. Totally get it. That's why we have the Rumble and the Odyssey backups. And also, you never know if you're going to get the big axe one day from YouTube. So it's good to have backups. So uh, otherwise, you will go ahead and hit that subscribe button and little notification bell so you don't miss a single time we go live. And other than that, folks, we've had an amazing lineup of guests here this past week. I'm going to go ahead and include some of those episodes here. If you're joining us on the video version, they're going to pop up here somewhere below. So go ahead and hit those buttons there. Otherwise, like I said, all 637. What? other episodes of The Brian Nichols Show over at BrianNicholsShow.com. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Carrie McDonald. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at BrianNicholsShow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to the Brian Nichols Show at BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.